You are listening to episode 15 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Previously on Quarter Share. If you sell in the booth, you pay some nominal amount in booth fee. I'm thinking like 1%, she said. We could cap that so it's 1% or 10 creds, whichever is smaller. That way somebody who doesn't sell a lot can still get in there. People who sell a lot don't get smacked with a huge bill. I'm Diane Ardell. We are so sorry to be such a problem, but we'll be leaving in the morning, and this is our very last chance to come up and see your operation up close. The more money the ship makes, the more money I make. I don't care what it starts life as, so long as it ends as a credit in my account. Chapter 24, Marguerite Station, 2352, January 12. When we got to the Lois's lock, I said to Diane, Come on, I'll buy you coffee. Coffee's free, you cheapskate. Okay, then you buy. We went to the mess deck where Pip and Cookie were setting up for lunch. Where have you two been, Pip asked. We took a tour of a mushroom farm, I told him. Interesting? Cookie asked. Diane nodded. I'm not sure what we learned, but it was interesting. We settled into a table just as Brillo and Francis came in for lunch. Diane waved him over. You'll never guess where we've been. Mushroom farm, said Francis. Diane started to say, How? But Brillo said, We heard you as we were coming up the passage. I recognize the symptoms, so you better spill it before your head explodes. Diane tried to look innocent when she said, Spill what? But it didn't work. Brillo and Francis just looked at her. Okay, sludge, she announced. Sludge? Francis repeated. She nodded. Sludge. Brillo looked at me. Do you know what she's on about? I nodded. Sludge. Brillo and Francis started chuckling. Can you give us a bit more of a clue? Brillo finally asked. I took pity on them. Ever since I heard that we were given the sludge cakes out for terraforming in order to dispose of them, I've had this idea we might be able to use them here. When I learned that Marguerite is a huge producer of mushrooms, it occurred to me the only thing they have out here is tunnels, dark, and sludge. Ain't that the truth, Diane said. So I called up the supplier who sold us the mushrooms for the galley and asked if we could see the facilities. He was nice enough to run us over in his shuttle this morning, and we saw a mushroom farm. Francis looked at Diane, and you just went along for the ride. She shrugged. Mr. Cameron was such a sweet man who was more than happy to show little old me his great big old logs, she said in a cutie pie voice. Brillo almost snorted coffee out of her nose and laughing said, I wish you'd warn me before you do that. Okay, Francis prompted. Sludge? All their farms are in the residential asteroids. They get the sludge from their environmental sections and use it as the base for a growing medium for the mushrooms. Brillo said, but it's sterile. I nodded. That's actually a good thing. There are plenty of nutrients left in the solids from the waste, and they're concentrated. What it is is dense. They run the sludge cakes through a chipper and then mix it with the hydroponics leftovers. That adds moisture and texture and keeps the flakes from clumping up tight again. Cameron seemed to think it was for the nutrients for the mushrooms, but he had a lot of misconceptions. Francis and Brillo both looked at Diane then. What, she said, why y'all looking at little old me? Francis snorted. Yeah, right, he said. Anyway, I continued. They extrude this chip sludge mixture into a loose netting in a process that looks like sausage making, only a lot bigger. They're about a meter long and a quarter meter in diameter. They inoculate them with, what did he call it, Diane? Not spores. Spawn, she said. Right, spawn. Then they send them into the tunnels to grow. When they're ready for harvest, they bring them back out and run them through a shaker to separate the mushrooms from the dross. They freeze-dry the results. 
Brillo nodded. Okay, sounds like fun. What's with our sludge? I don't know, I admitted, but I just keep thinking there's something we could do with it. Making it a compost and grow lettuce. I don't know. Compost, Francis said. Compost with what? You need plant material for good compost. Diane and I looked at each other then, said, Used algae matrix. Brillo sat her coffee cup down gently. I could see she and Francis had locked eyes across the table and were both nodding slowly, apparently both following the same logical path. Finally, Francis said, Brilliant. Despite my initial enthusiasm, I was shocked. You mean it would work? Francis shrugged. I don't know. We'd have to play with it to find the right mixture. But I can't imagine why it wouldn't. All the chemicals are there. The question is structure. Brillo said, Holy crap. And we all nodded. My tablet bipped then to remind me I was supposed to check with Bev about a shopping run to the flea, and I looked around the table. I'm going shopping. I think Bev is coming, too. Anybody else want to go? Brillo shook her head. Other plans. Francis said, You bet. And Diane said, Count me in. Okay, I told him. Let me check with Bev. Meet you in the lock in, what, fifteen ticks? They all nodded, and I left them sitting there talking sludge. Bev was just buckling into her leathers when I got to the birthing area. Hey, she said, what'd you do all morning? I went to a mushroom farm. You're kidding, right? But she shook her head and said, No, you're not. I'm getting to know you well enough by now. Right, I'm not kidding, I smiled, but I'm ready to go shopping. Anybody else going? Francis and Diane will meet us at the lock. They want to stock up for St. Cloud. She chuckled. Well, let's hope we have as good luck here as we did in Gugara, eh? She slammed her locker and we headed for the lock. The flea market was in full swing and the four of us caravaned through the aisles. There was a lot of stone and metal goods, not terribly surprising given the nature of the system. The trick for us would be to find stuff with low enough mass we'd be able to get it aboard. As we strolled along, I really began to appreciate Pip's idea of filling the empty container with freeze-dried mushrooms. We hadn't been there long when we came to booth 216. I recognized the workmanship on display before I realized where we were. Bev introduced me to the craftsman, a youngish fellow named Ingo Reitman. He had shocking red hair, redder than even Diane's, and a slight limp. There was no question he was master of the belt buckle. The majority were the size and shape that Beverly had showed us, but the variation in the use of stone, polish, and pattern were amazing. Mr. Reitman, I told him, my friend Philip Carstairs will be around tomorrow. Yes, yes, he said. Pip, I talked to him yesterday. I understand you have mass requirements that need to be satisfied. I look forward to doing business with you. This is a good opportunity for my work to be seen out of the system, and I'm quite excited. As we were talking, one particular buckle caught my eye. It was cast in a gold-colored metal with a rough, knobby finish. The stone was shaped into a black dragon's head in silhouette with a red inlaid eye. Well, I have a souvenir of my last port, I told him. I picked up an exquisite hand-tooled leather belt, and I need a buckle for it. Would you sell me one of yours? Mr. Wang, do you think I'm sitting here for my health? He smiled. Please, save the haggling preparation. Do you see the buckle you wish? I nodded. Fifteen creds, he said. A very generous price, I replied. In that case, he told me as he took the dragon's head buckle down from the wall without my pointing it out, and with a small smile asked, Would you like me to wrap it for you? As we left the booth, Beverly said, I had to jaw him down to forty for mine. Well, Pip and I will be buying a bunch of them tomorrow. Maybe he thought he was priming the pump for the deal. Maybe, she shrugged. I thought you sold all your belts the other day. All but the one I had left in my locker, I confirmed. I kept that one. Druce made it special for me, and it's exquisite. Can I see it? I suddenly realized that I had just painted myself into a corner. Well, we still need to find some trade goods to take on to St. Cloud, so keep your eyes open, okay? She chuckled. Diane stepped up and pointed out a display of ceramics at a booth coming up, and we descended on the cellar as a group. 
The goods were nice but expensive. Clay had to be imported, which drove up the price. I passed on it, but Francis brought a couple of small pieces. We continued through the flea market, eventually passing our 478 slot, empty since we hadn't set up, and walked by Virgil's wife with a nod, a smile, and a wave. Bev and I did our best not to giggle, but we did admire the chair she had. A few booths further down, my eye was drawn to a display of necklaces. Each necklace was pinned to a fabric backing for display. Each was unique. Bev saw me looking in her head track to see what I was looking at. I gotta give you credit, Ish, she said with a hand on my arm. You've got one hell of an eye. She turned back to look for Diane and Francis and nodded discreetly at the necklaces. I could see Diane's eyes widen from where I was standing, but she and Francis sauntered nonchalantly up to us, and we all wandered over to the display. The fellow behind the counter introduced himself as we approached. Good day, gentle people. My name is Franz Neubert. These necklaces were created and fabricated by my wife Nereel from the local materials. May I show you anything in particular? The pieces were generally high-polished stone beads with an accent bead or pendant hanging from each. The clasps were steel, and Franz pointed out that the necklaces were strung on a slightly elastic thread that helped prevent breakage. He spent some time pointing out the durability of the works while I was marveling at the craftsmanship of the beads and the way some were strung in monochromatic mode while others were brilliant explosions of color. Diane saw me looking at one and shook her head slightly. It's pretty, she said softly, but you'd have to be wearing white or black to wear it. I considered and had to agree. Diane had style. If she said it was a problem, I wasn't going to argue. There were enough other pieces in blacks, whites, blues, and soft yellows that I had too many to choose from as it was. I was standing there considering when I suddenly realized I was crazy. The prices were good, but I tried to think about selling these in the flea market in St. Cloud. The necklace I was considering was made of dozens of small black beads with a gold-colored vein in the rock. The accent bead was a natural nugget of a gold-colored material that I assumed was iron pyrite. The price on display said 500 creds. Even assuming I could talk Franz down to something like 300, I had a hard time imagining I could find a flea market buyer in St. Cloud who'd pay the kind of money it would take for decent margin. I sighed and put the necklace down. I bowed slightly to Franz and slipped from the booth to see what else I might be able to find. Beverly, Diane, and Francis followed. "'What's the matter?' Bev asked as we stepped out of earshot. Franz was busy with another set of customers at any rate. I shook my head. "'Those are beautiful, no question. The prices were good and the mass was okay.' Francis raised an eyebrow and said, "'I hear a butt coming. But I can't afford to buy more than one or two of them, and the prices I'd have to charge in St. Cloud I'm not sure I could get.' It was Diane who finally said, "'Yeah, you're right.' Bev said, "'Pity.' He has some beautiful pieces. I knew I heard a butt in there, Francis nodded. We continued our shopping trip, eventually wandering to the loose gem dealers in the back of the hall. Francis, Diane, and Bev all bought a few things here and there. Soon we heard the signal for the end of the day, and we joined the throng leaving the market. On the way down the lift, Francis says, You didn't buy anything but the buckle. I shrugged. I didn't see anything except the buckles and the necklace that reached out to me. Not like the belts did in Kukara. Pip's handling the buckle deal, and we're probably going to buy ten, one each to go with the belts we have. Diane nodded. You know, some days are like that. You walk through and you don't see anything. Bev smiled at me. Keep shopping. You've got good instincts, I think. The others nodded. When you find something you like, let me know. I'll want to buy some, too. We all had a good laugh. Can we find some dinner, I asked. We shopped through lunch. Francis stopped the lift at level eight and led us to a nice place that specialized in pasta dishes. We spent the next two stands getting stuffed and just slightly tipsy on one too many bottles of wine. By 
By the time we got back to the ship, the heavy food and unaccustomed alcohol took its toll on me, and I had to call it a night. Quib was looking over some cargo data in his bunk when Bev and I wandered into the birthing area. How was it? he asked. Good, I said. Didn't buy anything. The mass of the price, Bev cut in with, or both, I agreed with her, or both, were too high. I didn't see anything that grabbed me. There were some gem dealers, but I don't know anything about gems. I think they're supposed to be clear, and everything I saw was kind of cloudy and inconsistent. Bev finished for me, so we went out to dinner and then came home to sleep it off. How's by you? I asked him. He nodded. Quiet night. Got my manifest exercise in order. We've lined up some fresh produce in St. Cloud to swap the mushrooms for. By then I'd slipped out of my civvies and into my ship tee and boxers. I went to hang up my jacket and the buckle fell out onto my belt. Oh yeah, I almost forgot this. I showed it to Pip. I met Ingo and bought a buckle from my belt. He grinned. The belt Drew's made for you? I nodded and pulled it out of my locker. I fumbled with it for a bit but finally got the thing attached. The ivy pattern and the knobbly gold-colored finish on the buckle looked like they were made for each other. I strapped it on to see how it fit just as Bev came out of the sand. She froze and stared. I realized that I was standing there with my belt riding low around my hips, wearing nothing but my ship tee and boxers. I blushed furiously, I'm sure, and scrabbled the belt off. Bev said, so that's the belt Druce made for you? I nodded, and she held out a hand. Let me see. I handed it to her, knowing I was going to regret it, but helpless to stop myself. She ran it through her hands and fingered the ivory vines and leaves. She flexed it a couple of times and then handed it back. Yep. Druce knows her leather. That's a real keepsake-ish. I took it back from her and hung it in my locker. Pip was smirking behind his tablet, peeking out every once in a while to see my red face. Beverly, for her part, likewise in ship tea and boxers, crawled into her bunk with a groan. Oh, God's duty tomorrow, she said. Pip contributed a cheerful, Ha-ha, I'm off. Bev and I both chuckled. I reached and clicked off my reading light. Well, I got breakfast duty in the morning. Good night. Pip said, night ish, sleep well, in that distracted voice he got when he was on the trail of a deal. From below, I heard Bev say, sleep well, boy toy, with a sleepy giggle. Chapter 25 Marguerite Station, 2352, January 13. Pip got up with me in the morning and helped me set up for breakfast. We still had the issue of how many buckles to buy, and we needed something to take to St. Cloud for trade goods. "'Good morning, young Ishmael,' Cookie smiled when I came in. "'Your day off went well. I heard you visited the mushroom caves.' "'Morning, Cookie. Yes, very well, thank you. And yes, the caves were interesting. "'Well, you'll find the menu on the tablet. "'Can I trust you to handle breakfast solo this morning? "'I have some business ashore myself.' Pip and I looked at each other. "'Cookie leaving the ship?' I looked at my tablet and shrugged. No problem, Cookie, my pleasure. Thank you, young Ishmael, he said. I've set the bread to rise, but if you could get the biscuits and pie crusts. Of course, Cookie, I assured him. He gave me an odd little bow and left the galley. Pip and I looked at each other. Solo, he finally said. I shrugged. Not like there's anything on the list I haven't done a hundred times already. True, and imported slow enough here in the morning, he shrugged. Tell you the truth, I told him, it makes me feel better that he's going ashore. Pip looked at me quizzically. Well, I don't know that he hasn't gone ashore in the evening because he never talks about what he does. I'm assuming his card game habit. Pip nodded. Yeah, me too. The never going ashore thing made him seem a little, I don't know, unnatural. This is better, and we really don't have enough to keep both of us busy. Amen, brother, Pip agreed. So, can I get an omelet, lots of mushrooms, and extra cheese? I chucked a side towel at him. Yeah, if you'll make the coffee for a change. 
A few ticks later we settled onto the mess deck. The biscuits were baking and I was ready to make omelets for anybody who wanted one. It was early yet and I still had time to enjoy the fruits of my omelet pan. So, how many buckles? I asked Pip. He shrugged. We have ten belts. We should take at least ten buckles. Do we pick up some extras? A question. They're excellent work, I pointed out, and not that massive. If you get them for ten creds each and they're all in the twenty gram range, that's five per kilo. We'd burn two kilos for the first ten. If we get ten more, that's two more. How many creds? Pip answered instantly. Two hundred to three hundred, depending on the price. Well, we've got three kilocreds. We looked at each other and grinned in disbelief. But I don't want to tie up all the cash if we don't have a good cargo. He nodded. We only have about twelve kilos between us, I think. Maybe as many as fifteen. With twenty buckles, we'd be down around eight, with some room for anything we might spot that's small. We could get maybe forty additional buckles. I nodded, but we'd be betting the farm in terms of mass. Pip agreed. Two things. No, three things left to consider. I raised my eyebrows in question. He ticked them off on his fingers. First, we're pretty certain to clear the first two kilos, because those ten belts with buckles will evaporate on St. Cloud. Second, we don't have a line on any other cargo. Third, the mass is only a problem if we find something we really want to buy in St. Cloud. Tell me about St. Cloud, I told him. Nice place. Pip got that dreamy look and started in his recitation mode. It's one of the more established systems in the sector, actually joint-owned by a farming and fishing company. Surface is about 60% ocean, and the land mass is almost entirely on three continents, one that's an almost continuous flat plain, one mountainous, and one smaller island near the South Pole. We're picking up containers of grain, fish, mutton, and wool. We're dropping off containers of machine parts and communications equipment. Farmers, fishermen, and shepherds, I commented. Pip blinked until his eyes focused on me again. Yeah, sounds right. What's the wool, raw or textile? He pulled up the manifest on his tablet. Bales. It could be either. What's the value? He grinned. You're good. It looks like bulk wool. I should have caught that. Ah, you're rubbing off on me, I smiled. If you were living up in the mounds with a bunch of sheep, what would you do with your spare time, besides the obvious? Try to keep warm, Pip said. I'd spin wool. You think the companies would let the herders keep some of the wool? I think the herders would find ways to keep the odds and ends. Perhaps buy it back from the company at wholesale. Just like I bet they eat a lot of mutton and fish. Pip smiled. Does that suggest anything? Yeah. Can you find a deal on powdered dye? Dye? I nodded. Primary colors. Red, blue, yellow, maybe black. Why dye? Pip asked, frowning in puzzlement. Well... Sheep are almost universally white. You think on a crooked path, my friend, Pip said. I like that. Doesn't mean I'm right. I feel like I'm missing something. What? asked Pip. Don't know, but something. The whole environmental crew came in for breakfast then, and I had to go back to work. Pip waved as he left, and I slipped into morning mode. The biscuits were done anyway. As expected, the pace was slow and spotty there in the galley. I got the bread punch down around mid-morning and set it to second proof. Cleanup was easy, and I even got some soup going, a nice mushroom barley. Mr. Maxwell stopped by for coffee a couple of times and nodded to me without speaking. Cookie had left some unbaked cobblers in the walk-in, and I slid those into the oven so they'd be ready for lunch. Even though I didn't get a morning break, I confess it felt kind of nice pottering about in the galley. I could see what Cookie enjoyed about it. Around 1100, just as I was beginning to think about setting up the lunch buffet, Cookie bit me on the tablet to let me know he'd be there by noon. I felt a little let down. I was half thinking I'd be doing lunch solo as well, and I was looking forward to it for some odd reason. 
I had a lot of time to think about St. Cloud, too, the back of my brain. I was having second thoughts about the dye idea, and thinking more that we should go ahead and buy up buckles for about half of the available mass. That would leave us some wiggle room in case they didn't move, but give us something to sell beyond the buckled belts. Something wasn't quite right there, but I just let it percolate. Lunch set up went off without a hitch, and Cookie breezed in just before noon. Thank you, young Ishmael. Sometimes you just have to get off this ship. I feel much better, and you've done an excellent job. He patted me on the shoulder. My pleasure, Cookie. It was fun. I brought him up to speed on the status. Pip came in for a bowl of soup just before lunch was over with a smug look. I found the dyes, he said. Did you buy any? He shook his head. I found that thing you were missing. What was it? The dyes I found here came from the Erewhon dye works on St. Cloud. We laughed. That's what I was missing. I bet they have roots and berries and such to dye their own wool. Snails, Pip said. Snails? Yeah, apparently they have snails that, when processed, yield a really rich purple. There's also a red and a black. That's in addition to the plant-based dyes. So what do we take? I don't know. We play it safe or we play it out, Pip said. We're out of here tomorrow afternoon. Whatever we get, it'll have to be today. Safe, we go with just the ten buckles or maybe a few more. Or we can fill up the mass with buckles and hope they like them as much there as we do here. I sighed. You know, neither of those really appeals to me. What we need is something small, something we can buy lots of here, cheap, and sell there at twice the price without it being an arm and a leg. Pip got a funny look then and fished in his pocket. Like these? And he tossed three smooth stones onto the table. They were flattened and rounded stones and naturally looking rounded shapes. What looked like quartz with a silvery mineral threaded through it. A rich blue that looked like the blue on Beverly's belt, so it was probably lapis. The third was a lustrous black with a fine texture showing up through the polish. None of them was more than three centimeters across. Each had a hole bored widthwise through the top. They looked like the accent stones on Neubert's necklaces. I picked one up and didn't want to put it down. The stone slid smoothly under my fingers as I rubbed it. "'Where'd you find these?' I asked, looking up at him. "'A guy back in the gem aisle had a booth, just him and a couple buckets full of these. They were three for a cred, and I liked the way they felt. How many of them do you think it would take to mass a kilo?' Pip grinned. "'A lot. These three average ten grams each. Can you find him again, because I think you just found what we wanted?' "'Yeah. How many do we want?' "'All right.' Let's go with the ten buckles for the belt, twenty buckles extra. That leaves us what? Six kilos? Pip nodded, something like that. Two kilos of these would work out about two hundred. The actual income wouldn't be very big, but the margin is, is potentially huge. Let's go all six kilos, Pip said. It's not going to take that many creds, so if we get stuck and need the mass, we just toss them. Let's do it. Pip nodded and headed back out to finish the trading. With Cookie back in the galley and lunch on the buffet... There wasn't much for me to do, so the afternoon cleanup was done almost as soon as lunch was over. Cookie was planning on a spicy beefalo dish for dinner, and he began humming as he puttered around the stovetop. I pulled up a stool and watched for time, but he waved me off. Go, young Ishmael. You didn't get a break this morning, and I can certainly handle making a small batch of this by myself, he smiled. Thank you again for doing such an excellent job with the morning duty. Oh, it was my pleasure, Cookie. I'm glad you got some time in port. Any time I can help like that, you know I'm always willing. You're a good shipmate, young Ishmael. Lois is happy to have you aboard, he said with a smile. I chuckled. I'm going for a run in a sauna, then. Oh, no environmental this afternoon, he chided. I shook my head. I've taken enough of their time already. 
Cookie chuckled. I heard sludge. And algae. Don't forget the algae. He laughed, and I waved, as I left him humming over his sizzling beefalo. I ran three extra laps beyond my normal. My wind was getting much better, and the extra exertion felt good. The shower sluiced off the morning's grime, and I had the sauna to myself. It felt odd. It was nice that I didn't have to share it, but it seemed kind of empty without the good-natured banter that usually filled the room along with the steam. Afterwards, I stretched out of my bunk and went back to reading up on being a steward. The quarterly exams would be coming up soon, I thought. At 1600, I went back to the mess deck to help Cookie set up. I could smell the spiced beefalo from the birthing area, and it was making me drool. I suspected the dinner turnout would be good. I was right. About halfway through, Pip showed up wearing his ship suit and a big grin. We didn't have time to talk until we'd secured from dinner, but he came to help me clean up after. Judging from your smile, your trading went well, Cookie observed. Pip grinned even wider. Very well indeed. Ingo gave us thirty buckles all at ten so three hundred creds and just under six kilos. There's some serious upside potential there. The rock guy was surprised that we wanted to buy them by the kilo, but he had a ton of them, so he was happy to unload some. He gave me as many as I wanted for five creds a kilo. I bought the six we agreed to. I blinked, trying to do the math in my head. You got about six hundred of them for thirty creds? He nodded. Twenty per cred. The total upside is nothing to write home about, but even at a cred apiece on St. Cloud, the margin's huge. Hey, I'll take 600 creds. That's more than the salary and share I got for the Marguerite leg. Yeah, but you'd have to split it with me, Pip pointed out. It's still more. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Lucky Black Cat a hornpipe in A minor recorded by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com golden. Music